Welcome to the Other Worlds GG Community Cast. This is episode number 71, and we're back after a long hiatus. Here we are. Air horn. Yeah. Here we are. A little bit of a hiatus. I'm Table for Two, and I'm joined by Mellified and Alien Pickle. What's up, fellas? Hey, it's Mollified. I am doing well. Just uh, excited to to get to chat with you guys again. We've sort of been uh, busy in life and and craziness, so uh, it's great to to get back to it. Jim, you still got your chickens? Yes, yes, I do. How are they doing? Getting big? Yeah, they're doing all right. We we tried to merge in like five of the you know because we have an incubator. So we hatched like five eggs and we tried to like work them into the population. Uh, they ate them. But other than that. Oh, God. Savage. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's yeah. kind of like playing, what was that? What's that like, uh, uh, was it not, um, what's that like, like God kind of game? Is it black and white or whatever, where it's just like you're trying to control society or something like that? Or like the populations yeah. thing? Yeah, you have your pet animal that can. Godzilla stomp your citizens and stuff. I <laughs> I had I had great hopes for the first black and white and it was like the third mission they take your pet away and then you spend the rest of the game trying to get it back. And I was just like, "Oh my god, I hate you." <laughs> well, um now, yeah. black, black and white too, way better, but unavailable. Like try to get it anywhere. That's uh, true. It is one of those yeah. weird things where, like, trying to find some of these classic games. But yeah, as uh, as we said earlier, we are back. We um we did take a long break. Just a lot of real life things came up. Uh, I underwent a move. Uh, I had a lot of like job stuff that was just keeping me super busy and like unable to really do anything. My computer broke somewhere along the way in there, and I got it uh, slightly upgraded. <laughs> Mellified is like building a huge compound um, out on his <laughs> property. Just to uh, house his 4090. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, just yeah. to house his 4090. Well, he had to get well, a new shed. <laughs> well, you're 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 renovating and expanding your house. That's what it is, right? Like that's what you're yeah, doing. yeah. We're our house is pretty small here, um, which was kind of the one downside of the the property when we bought it. And we've been trying for five and a half years to like get an addition planned and built. And so we actually finally broke ground and uh, we're going up another like 800 square feet. So it's going to be a pretty big uh, quality of life improvement for us. Neat. Having all the extra space. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, wife and I moved into a bigger house ourselves. Um, got a little bit more space going on. Um, you know, I've got a, a dedicated actual office space, not in a basement this time. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been able to spread out a little bit. We actually have a proper dining room now, so we're actually going to be able to have people over for board games and stuff like that, which last weekend, as a matter of fact, my wife was on a business trip. Um, and I had a bunch of people over, we played, I got my, all, all my old school consoles hooked up and. It was really nice. Like we just have some space finally to do the things, and I haven't I haven't been able to do that in like a few years. Like bust out all my old stuff and actually properly set it up. But um, so was yeah. it like a like an all nighter PJ party with pizza and like yeah like true nostalgia yeah 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 I mean close. So what was funny is is I actually had a bunch of my old buddies uh, who live in town here um, come over. And uh, years ago, when we were like in college and stuff like that, we used to do this like, you know, uh, bro night every Tuesday night where it was like, bring your beers, come over and we'll play Call of Duty like all night long, eat pizza. 
And basically we did that all over again. And so it was oh. kind of funny because some of the, you know, the, like, the guy that everybody hates cause they're so good. Like even 10 years later, you know, 12 years later, 50, like still has it like, like it can still <laughs> like kick all of our asses, you know? So, um, it was really yeah, cool. Every, it was, it was everybody's a good time. got that one friend, right? He's yeah, like, just like, hey, let's let's play Quake. All right, you five against me, <laughs> and we still lose. Yeah, right. His name is Brian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this guy, this guy, yeah, he actually has a really great Instagram. He's a huge Halo fan, Halo fan 04. Uh, I highly recommend you guys go check it out. He posts a bunch of his Halo. He 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 collects Halo stuff, so he's got a huge collection of Halo like um like paraphernalia, games, uh, international stuff, posters like. Uh, he's had a bunch of stuff raided by the um, the one company or whatever. I forget what they call it. Um, but, I mean, he's got some some pretty cool stuff. So HaloFan04 on Instagram. Go check him out. Uh, and he's still got it. He still slays like crazy on Call of Duty. But yeah, I, for me, it was uh, my friend Ty was just any fighting game or any rhythm game. You could put him in front of it and he would dominate the 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 room. I got pretty good at Rock Band. I could never get into the like the DDR stuff. I just couldn't. I, I I don't have the rhythm of the feet. You know what I mean. So, but I can I can I can do the the strumming of the guitar stuff pretty well. I was doing a lot of expert stuff on Rock Band. So. Nice. But uh, we are indeed back, and uh, we're gonna try a little little different stuff. We're gonna do we're gonna do um, a, a different show style. And we're going to see how this goes. We're going to see if it works. Uh, and if it doesn't, then it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, starting things off, um, we're going we're gonna to kind of round robin some different uh, topics here. Uh, but right out of the gate, obviously at this point, I think the larger gaming community has probably already heard about the shutdown of G4. Um, just under a year of being relaunched, it has uh, officially come to a close due to low ratings. Um, the interesting part about the G4 shutdown was is that a lot of people didn't fully realize that it was a linear show on television as well as like a live stream thing on Twitch and YouTube with some content being exclusive just to the linear TV portion of things. So it's really interesting because that was a revelation to me because I thought it was just simulcast in every location. Turns out that actually was not the case. So... Mm. I found that to be a little interesting, but, um, but yeah, so rest in peace G4. Um, I, you're probably one of the only networks I think that has died twice. So, um, that's a record. Yeah. So stuff I heard about that was, it wasn't just a couple of personalities that were causing trouble, but it was also like the amount of salary that some of the people were drawing out was just completely unsustainable. Like they knew the fuse was short. They were going to get it while they could. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, there's, there's some interesting stuff about that and we can definitely talk about it later in our, um, our round table at the end, but, uh, interesting, interesting thing to see. All right. What else we got? Uh, well, I'll summarize a bunch of news by saying the 4090 uh, NVIDIA's new high-end graphics card is really big. Uh, it is the largest commercial or, or you know, um, gaming enthusiast graphics card ever. It needs... Uh, it, it Well, it is set up to handle 600 watts of power, which if you 
think about a power supply. <laughs> I bought power supplies that did had less than 600 watts of power before. Um, so yeah, it's a monster, and it uses a new uh, power connector that is uh, kind of specialized for this high high capacity, high power capacity. Uh, you can get an adapter that kind of breaks that out into four standard 150 watt power supply connections. Uh, but that adapter kind of sticks out the side of the card. And actually, you know, I, I managed to get a 4090, but uh, despite it fitting in my case by the measurements, that power adapter sticking out, you know, straight out the side of the card goes basically through the side of my case. So I'd have to completely uh, redo the inside of my case to fit I was gonna it. Say, so. Make some renovations, not only to your house, but to your gaming case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, and, and I have glass we have to sides, add on, right? We have, we have to add on another 800 square feet to your case. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I mean, it's kind of nuts. But, uh, you know, I so I put it back in the box because uh, I'm going to have to figure out what I want to do if I'm... If I'm going to get a new case, like I might as well just build a whole new computer is my my perspective. So uh, the one downside, I seem to have broken the fan on my uh, 3080 Ti in the process of removing it and reinstalling it. Uh, I do have a water-cooled uh, radiator with separate fans on it that is still working. So like, I'm not even sure that other fan was really doing much, but... Um, if you if yeah. you all if you all out there uh, know how big a Steam Deck is, or maybe you have one, this graphics card is larger than a Steam Deck. It's huge. It's it's big and it's heavy too. It's just like tons of radiator fins and the whole nine yards. So yes, very very big graphics card. Uh, I haven't had a chance to really use it. I had a friend of mine who was more or less saying like, "Why the hell do you would you buy that?" Um, I have two sort of reasons. One is that my, um, my current 3080, I'm actually hitting the VRAM limit, uh, surprisingly. I have just a ton of different applications that all do hardware acceleration. They all take VRAM. I'm running at 4K with HDR. That takes up a bunch of memory. And so I'd like the extra memory of the 4090. And uh, one of my next stories that I will talk about is the new MetaQuest uh, Pro VR headset is coming out in a week. And I managed to get one of those as well. And so uh, I want the 4090 to help drive, you know, high frame rates on that VR headset. So that's kind of my, my justification for the, the power of the 4090. Jim, what do you got going on? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that cyberpunk anime and the resulting uh, positive backlash of that on Steam count, right? Because cy cyberpunk had, like, every time they put a patch out, it was like, okay, this is the one, guys. This is the one that's going to fix it. And then it would get a blip in players for a while, but it didn't maintain. So then the anime series came out, which was pretty damn amazing. You know, it's it's nice to see something that can actually compete toe to toe with like Ghost in the Shell, in in its own playground and and uh, stand up with it. You know, it it was a very Americanized version of a story like that, but it was right on the level with. Um, I liked what they did with the characters, and you know, it was just in general pretty true to the world that I've been familiar with because like I've been buying the 
the game books since the 80s, right? Um, but anyway, so now they're up to like a million players a day or more in the game. And I guess the 1.6 patch, I I had been playing it before I saw the anime. I was mm -hmm, just like, same, oh, 1.6 yeah. patch, I need to go mess with it. And uh, I haven't found it. There's, there's things in there that are like, well, I wish this was a little different, right? But there's nothing that just like yanks me out of the game like there used to be, so... Yeah, the anime definitely made the world a little bit more real for me. Um, uh, well, it was enough, really saying it was, saying it like that because it's an anime; it's not real, but it made it made it more alive, I guess I should say. Yeah. Well, and it was really interesting that the anime actually pulls places from in the game, right? So it's like, oh, I recognize this store that they're in because it's in the game. Oh yeah, definitely a bunch of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I've yeah. seen a map right where it's like here's all the places that were in the anime mapped on the night city map in the game if you want to go visit them yeah and, and apparently they, they they stuck some weapons that are like unique content that was in the anime was in the one six patch so i've seen like maps of like here's how here's where to go find whoever's gun you know is like hidden in this spot hmm yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been uh, I think a boost for it too because also the the modding stuff, the modding tools have come out, and the thing that the anime added in that I thought was interesting was the monorail systems, and people have been mod modding those into the game. Um, so I, I found that kind of cool. Interesting. Very very neat. Um. In more in more shutdown news, uh, I know this is probably old by the time we're talking about it, but I, it's just we we got to mention it because you know we've been calling this like everybody else since it <laughs> launched, and that is uh, yeah. that is Stadia uh, is finally shut down. It's very interesting too because the thing about Stadia is like, I mean. First of all, when Google announced this, I think the collectively most people out there that are in this, you know, marketplace or whatever are familiar with the industry were kind of just like, what are they thinking? Like, it's an it's an interesting concept. It's not a new concept. We've definitely seen uh, like on live and stuff like that before. And NVIDIA has got their uh, GeForce Now service, which is its own type of thing. You know, you got the xCloud stuff from uh, Microsoft. I mean, Sony's been dabbling in um, game streaming, uh, like from your from your console to your uh, Vita, I think, has been uh, like a, an ability for quite a long time. Um, yep. So this is not a new thing, but for Google to kind of like jump into the market, they definitely have... What's funny is, is I, I feel like they definitely have the infrastructure. They just did not have the ability to market this thing properly or deploy it properly because while it's a subscription-based stuff and there were some things that you could play through the subscription, you could buy games directly through it, but then, like, that was it. Like, you couldn't download it anywhere else. You couldn't play it anywhere else. And God forbid the service goes under. You will never ha be able to touch that ever again. And uh, I just think people people were not really ready. I mean, like the the hardware is just not quite there yet. I mean, even even the X Cloud stuff is an add on feature for people with Game Pass Ultimate, right? Like it's not even like you're not even subscribing for that specific tool. 
It's just, hey, here's this thing that you can do because you're a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber. And then the way NVIDIA does it is it's like you already own all the games. You bring the you you bring your games to that service. Granted, you can play certain things through it and you can buy certain things through it, but the appeal to the game, the 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 NVIDIA stuff is like you can bring what you already own to that platform. In most cases, Blizzard kind of got mad at them for it, which doesn't make sense to me because it's not like they were hurting Blizzard, right? Like you still had to own the game, so that means you still had to buy them from Blizzard to do it. But again, greed. you know, greed for some unknown reason. Like I, I still to this day don't understand the reason. But anyway, what's interesting about that though is um, because of that, um, um, you know, there were some there were some interesting things that have developed out of this. For example. Rockstar is throwing uh, a life preserver to a guy with 6,000 hours of Red Dead Online on Stadia. Um, I, I just think, you know, I, this is somebody that definitely took to the service pretty well. Um, well, good, good for Rockstar for stepping up, right? Because they don't have to do anything for this guy. Um, and it's nice to see that they actually did. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, good for them for, for for throwing stuff at that. And I think even CD Projekt Red is helping to rescue some Cyberpunk 2077 uh, players, you know, files from Annihilation, letting people export probably some of their save stuff uh, to a zip file so that way they can, you know, import it into, you know, um, a local copy of the game. So, I mean, good for them. I mean, I, this, is, this, is, this is the developers outside of Stadia doing, you know, good deeds for their players because their players didn't ask for this. So, but you know, it's also good for Google too, because they completely decided to say they were going to refund everybody who bought hardware and anybody who bought games. The only thing that they were not refunding was people who paid the subscription fees. So the subscription fees are part of like, just, you know, having stadia, but if you bought games or bought like a controller or whatever it is, they were completely refunding people that. So Good on Google for doing the right thing and, and at the end there. Um, I know this makes people nervous about the idea of Steam. You know, like whatever happened with Steam would go under. I I kind of feel like it's the old adage it's too big to fail. It could possibly be so, but I think even Steam has said that they would put in things to let people keep their games. But yeah, yeah I can't I can't imagine how it would happen, but we'll talk about it in our round table, I suppose. Yeah, we definitely can. Um, uh, Jim, I think you were wanting to talk a little bit about some of the Persona 5 stuff. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea what goes on in Persona 5. So I was going to ask Mellified what the hell goes on in Persona 5. Because I played Persona, Persona 4 Golden some. Mm -hmm. um, but it just, it just felt, uh, I don't know, the pacing was weird. And the game just wouldn't get to the freaking point. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, it's it's like I get sucked into a magical inside the television land and there is like some murder on the loose in, in the town. And apparently that had something to do with it. But it, then it's a whole bunch of like high school conversations like I'm in a dating simulator. And it's like I, I don't understand what the hell this game is trying to get at. Right. But apparently it's freaking amazing. Uh, I, I'll just never survive it long enough to see it. So does survive? Does Persona Five? Because it's supposed to be like the magnum opus of Persona games, right? Like, 
you know, everybody gushed so hard when it came out. Is it different than that? Does it actually get to it? Uh, it is still a, you know, life management simulator. You are still a high school student. You still have to decide, are you going to go to study? Are you going to go work your part-time job? Are you going to go hang out with your friends, right? That is, that is a core part of the game design. And it is still there, much like it was in Persona 4. Um, where things get interesting in all of these games, like in 4, spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't played 4, which is a 15-year-old game at this point or whatever, um, get on it. You're, you're slacking. Uh, Persona 4, you know, you, you got sucked in that TV land and you were trying to find the murderer before they killed somebody. In Persona 5, uh, it, the setup is basically that you are going into uh, the psyche of these bad people in order to change their heart. Um, by by conquering their inner world, you you make them regret their evil deeds kind of thing. Oh, so it's Psychonauts 3. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely that, that aspect to it. So I... I... I don't know that you're going to find it any more engaging. Um, the original Persona 5, when it came out on PS3 and PS4, I played for 100 hours. And then, uh, and that was two semesters. And then they came out with Persona 5 Royale, which added a third semester, and I played that for 150 hours. And I certainly did everything you could do in the game, but I didn't do New Game Plus. I didn't do, you know, uh, super hard grinding on my my personas to level them up, things like that. So you could certainly spend even more time with the game if you really wanted to. Um, and I confess, the, the high school drama stuff got to me about 120 hours in. I just couldn't take it anymore, and I kind of blazed through the, the, the story portions of the game. But... Um, it, yeah, if, the, the, if these games honestly had like a skip all the story, show me a summary, right? <laughs> you know, like it it would save my A button so much hassle, right? Because it's like I'm beating the A button like it owes me money. <laughs> well, you know, and and maybe uh, I actually put in Persona Five uh, Royale on PC just this morning to kind of check out, you know, how it looked and how how the PC port uh, fared. And you can go into the settings and basically turn off the story where it'll just fast forward through all of the story, all the cutscenes. Now, that said, it doesn't give you a nice summary of what the hell is going on. So you're not going to have any clue, but you could certainly go to YouTube or, you know, uh, I'm sure you find a like a story summary written up somewhere if if that was your your preference the actual gameplay the moment to moment like tactical combat aspect of it is awesome and and that's the part i really enjoy um getting in there and like just having a blast uh taking down enemies and going through the mazes and the the palaces uh as they're called the these worlds that you go into so uh, you know, there is something positive there. I really, really enjoy all of the you know, Shin Megami Tensei, Persona. Um, one of my favorite games of all time is Tokyo Mirage Sessions 
uh, hashtag F-E Encore, which has got to be one of the longer names <laughs> out there. But uh, the the that's on Switch uh, only at this point. But um, it is a Persona-derived or, or technically Shin Megami Tensei-derived uh, game. So you have a lot of the same spells. You have the same demons that, that kind of carry over between games. And uh, yeah, I mean, I really enjoy all of them that said the sometimes the story is better than others and and if the story doesn't grab you it's probably not worth playing because you could try a different one or maybe the story does grab you before we move on uh to the next thing melified was there anything more with the meta quest that you wanted to talk about i, I did well i was just gonna kind of comment um you know for those who aren't familiar uh meta formerly facebook uh bought oculus years ago um, they have been working on a long-rumored uh, high-end headset, and that was announced uh, at their big event recently. It is called the MetaQuest Pro, so the Quest 2 is kind of their current uh, consumer model. The Quest Pro has some interesting technology, um, and it better because it's $1,500, which makes it one of the most expensive uh, headsets on the market. Although, you know, HoloLens is over three grand, which is Microsoft's augmented reality uh, system. And the Vive, the high-end Vive kit is about 1400. So it's not, yes, it's expensive, but it's not completely outrageous. It's not like they're the only ones at this price point. Some of the cool things that it does in my mind, um, with the Quest 2, the headset is tracking the controllers uh, and they're communicating back and forth, but ultimately the headset has cameras on the front of it and they have to be able to see the controllers in order to track the controller position. So games like Beat Saber, where you're moving your hands above your head, you can actually lose tracking uh, because your hand goes behind your head and the headset can't see the controller anymore. With the Quest Pro, the controllers actually have a CPU and their own cameras, so they can track themselves anywhere in the room, regardless of their position relative to the headset, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, the controllers are going to be available separately as a $300 option for the Quest 2 also. So if all you really cared about was, hey, the, you know, I want the, the super duper tracking controllers. Uh, you can get them for the Quest 2. Obviously, the Quest 2 ran for, you know, it was $300 at the low end at one point. They raised the price. So now it's four or 500 bucks. But uh, so it's pretty, you know, expensive upgrade for $300 for the controllers. But they do have some other capabilities where they're doing haptic feedback, meaning, you know, you can push against objects and the, the controller will vibrate in such a way to kind of simulate that that sensation or try to at least. Um, so controllers are definitely uh, upgraded. The headset itself, though, too, um, one of my favorite features with the Quest 2 was the, the pass-through mode. So you could basically have it where you could see the room around you while you were in the the dashboard and stuff and it would basically show you the image that your the these onboard cameras on the headset could see now on the quest 2 they were pretty low res and they were black and white 
So, because all they were meant for was tracking, right? They weren't necessarily meant for you to watch through them. But with the Quest Pro, they've actually upped the resolution of those cameras and made them color. So now you can actually do stuff in augmented reality where uh, they showed off some demos where, like, you bring your desk into VR and now all of a sudden it's rendering your desk as an object in the in the virtual space while you're you're playing. Um, now, I mean, it's going to depend on, obviously, uh, the use case. I can't imagine I want my desk sitting in the corner of the bridge of the Enterprise while I'm playing uh, Star <laughs> Trek Bridge Crew. But maybe it's a console, right? Maybe they, they render a console in that space where my desk is. So I naturally am going to avoid walking into it and, you know, banging my knee into my desk leg. Well, and um, you can toggle it on and off, right? There's times when it's like, I specifically want this this area of the room where my keyboard and mouse sit to become pass-through, but I don't want anything else to, right? So if I can just draw a box there, and then whenever I go to pass-through mode, it doesn't, like, bring the whole room, because pass-through currently will toggle the game off. It's almost like it minimizes it and then shows you the room, and then you yes. double-tap it to go back in the game. If yep. I could do that with selective objects in the environment, turn them on and off, that would be great, especially for people that try to actually do more than just game and VR. Yeah, well, and that's certainly Quest's... Uh, one of the things they talked a lot about with the Quest Pro was this is meant for creative people. It's meant for like collaboration. Um, one of the other features that that speaks to that is it actually has inward facing cameras that are watching your face and it tries to interpret your facial expressions and map them to your avatar. So if we were hanging out in VR chat, uh, theoretically, this this hasn't been implemented yet, to be clear, but you you know we were talking and you said something I didn't like. You could see you know uh, uh, an angry face on my avatar, um, in theory. So well, is it like, is it a whole face thing? Because otherwise it's just looking at your eyeballs, right? It it has cameras that are looking at your eyes and down to your mouth. I gather. Oh. So um, now and you know Facebook doesn't have the best reputation maybe for privacy. They did talk a lot about. You know, all of the the facial recognition stuff is stays on the headset. It doesn't go up to the cloud or anything. Um, and of course, this is higher resolution, faster processor. It is backward compatible with all the Quest games and Quest Two games, which is really smart, I think. Um, and the big thing that they talked about uh, was they're doing new lens technology called pancake lenses, where they collapse multiple elements into a single lens. So you get crisper uh, visuals, a thinner lens, meaning a lighter headset, and the, the headset can sit uh, better on your face. You get better field of view, things like that. So uh, pretty interesting. The one big downgrade that a lot of people have talked about is the battery life is like one to two hours on the headset. The controllers are longer. It's like eight hours, but... Uh, you know, the headset itself, you're going to be uh, done pretty quickly if you're trying to go fully wireless. So I, I, I'm definitely interested in talking more about it, but that's kind of the overview of what they're doing. Um, I have some, some interesting, I, I, well, I, I, I have some thoughts on where they're going with this technology and, and what this is going to do in the future, but uh, we can talk about that in the round table.
Well, uh, moving on, speaking of technology, new technology, the Steam Deck is out in full force, and uh, it is now at a stage where if you were to order one, you are no longer backlogged. You order one, it'll get to your house within, I think, a regular shipping of like seven business days or something like that, like a week or whatever, it'll get to you. I think is what I was reading. Um, I, I thought it was like two to three weeks is what they quoted, but... You know, either way, I mean, it's it's pretty quick. Not yeah, you're month. not on a you're not on a nine month list wondering right. where it's going to ship. Yeah, right. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was talking to another buddy of mine last night. He's actually got a Steam Deck now too, um, and he's been trying a bunch of other different games on it. It's actually really been cool to see the community come up with controller schemes for games and like getting certain stuff to work that hasn't been made like uh, green check marked by steam as like a completely verified mm -hmm. game so like he's been playing guild wars 2 on it <laughs> um he's been playing a bunch of other games on it i've actually been playing through ori and the blind forest recently on mine uh because that's one that i have not played through yet um so i've been actually really enjoying uh, playing through that one um so good news if you want a steam deck and you're you're you know, ready to go ahead and get one um go ahead you know you're not gonna have to wait <laughs> Uh, I, so. I the one other thing that I think is interesting is how quickly Valve has been certifying new games for the Steam Deck. Um, it seems like you know new releases are getting priority, and in some cases those games are certified before they even come out. Yeah, like uh, I've noticed the new, the new Spider Man game, for example, is certified on it, um, and it's fantastic. Um, it's such a great, great game. Um, Another good one's God of War you can play on here. Uh, obviously, the, the newer Doom games work on here just fine. I've also been playing through South Park, The Stick of Truth on here. Um, and I'm still going, making my way through uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 as well. But I've got like the Shadowrun games that I have yet to go through. Uh, Owlboys on here. Some of these like, you know, simpler games that I just, you know, are, are really good with a controller for one. They're lightweight um i'm i'm playing through on my my steam deck just because it's uh a quick i can pick it up and play it anywhere kind of thing so uh pretty exciting stuff um i know that uh the two of you i think both uh Melify and Alien pickle are pretty excited about some of the newer features coming with no man's sky i know Melify talk about uh Added the new relax mode, massive increase, uh, massively increased inventory, and then Jim, I think, is pretty excited about that too. Uh, why don't you guys start off our roundtable just by talking about that? Like, well, I, I mean, gosh, Hello Games uh, has been cranking away on this game for so long, eight years at this point, and this update to me seems like they really went back and looked at all of the things that they have added to the game uh, since it launched and tried to sort of make sure they were all streamlined, had a good feel, were well integrated into the overall gameplay, which they had done once before, I think, in the 2.0 update. And I, I the, the recent additions uh, made it a little bit clunky and a little bit confusing. And so I played maybe 10 hours on uh 4.0 they definitely improved the the new game experience um there are good breadcrumb quests to kind of lead you through some of that stuff so i've been pretty impressed with it um there's certainly still a ton of stuff to do 
the underwater bases are really fleshed out now. Um, although I still feel like there aren't as there's not as much water as I would expect on some planets. Yeah, but... there's not much depth to it. You know, like yeah. when it is there, it, the water can be everywhere, but it's an inch deep. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like there's still maybe some work to do there, but uh, they've got you know. Um, Organic ships, like the living ships, they're still there. They've got now cosmic space whales. You can ride sandworms, um, uh, you know, and other giant um, creatures on planets. So, like, they, there's just a little bit of everything in it, and it's Plus really the maker fun. in his water. Yes, yeah. yes. His comings and his goings. Um, so, yeah, and then they added a couple more, uh, like, default modes. But even more significantly, there is now a menu where you can customize the the gameplay so you can say oh i don't want um you know toxic like super toxic environments uh i do want you know extra inventory i don't want this i do want that so you can really kind of tailor it to your your tastes as far as the gameplay goes yeah, uh, i don't know how that works multiplayer though to be fair well the inventory thing is what initially disrupted a lot of people because they said okay well if you have tech slots in your suit, then you, that's where you install the tech. But it used to be like you could have all your tech slots full and then start just consuming inventory slots. Like, oh, well, I really want like five of these shields. So I'm super shielded against, you know, like radiation or something. So you could install just stacks of them and you can't do that anymore. So I, I, I feel that that's actually a sane choice, honestly. And then people said, well, we don't have enough inventory room. So it took them about a week, and then they like came back and said, "Okay, well, we gave you like a bunch of extra inventory space in in your tech slots and stuff." So it it kind of negated, I think the like where you had to make choices. Now it's it's like before they did this, I had enough stuff to fill up those slots, and I didn't really have stuff in my suit. Well, now I have an abundance of slots. Like I've got like four slots that I don't know what to do with. So it kind of it kind of negated the uh, the whole like, well, we're going to put challenge back in the game. Mm. And and that's honestly the thing that I feel like it, at this point, it's like playing a Lego game because I'm not really struggling for resources or anything. And I I other than the planet killing me because I ran out of oxygen and I couldn't find it or whatever, you know, like whenever you do the expeditions and it puts you on like a super terrible planet and it's like, you know, it's, it's like the, the planet from, uh, uh, what the heck was that movie? I want to say, Oh, pitch dark. Right. Where it's like, Oh, pitch black. If yeah. It, yeah. Pitch black. Yeah. Where it's like, don't be outside after dark or you're dead. Right. But in the daytime, you're fine. So they'll put you on a planet that's like that, and then it's like, oh, the sun went down, and I don't have a, I don't have a house built yet. I'm dead, right? Um, some of the expeditions were kind of that way, and they would put you on like the most toxic, jacked up planet, <laughs> you know. But as soon as you get off of that planet, then it's like, okay, now I have the inconvenience of I don't have my freighter, I don't have you know my bases and stuff, but. Uh, and, and they also, like the, the one, they didn't give you a jump drive at all. Like, you couldn't get it. So you were stuck in that solar system with everybody else. And, you know, and it was a bunch of crappy planets that you had to do the thing in. So it was like, 
that's how they were trying to put challenge back in the game. But all the hostility was like trying to survive the planet and then remember the recipes of how to advance again. But it was kind of like, I, I don't want to retread, you know, like let's reinvent the wheel, you know, rise up from, from stone age again into having a spaceship uh that now but it would be interesting though if there was something other than the sentinels getting aggressive because it's just like if i see you know like high sentinel activity it's like there's nothing on that planet that could make me bother with that i'll find a low sentinel activity planet with the same resources thanks um but now that they put in the uh the thing where you actually manage a colony right the settlements um, so I have a settlement and every time I do a number of advancements at the settlement, I get a wave of sentinels that attack me and they get stronger every time, but they're trivial. You know, it's like, I don't fear them. It's just, it's an annoyance. It's like, oh, now I got to go kill 10 of those. All now, right. are you playing on normal difficulty? Yeah. Clarity's sake. Okay. Yeah. I haven't touched the difficulty sliders ever. So it's whatever it is out of the box. Got it. But I also haven't restarted, so it's like I could restart, I guess, but I don't know why. So, yeah, I don't know. It just it, it feels like it's a cool chill game. If I want to just lose time, I can do that. But it's not a game that pushes back on me at all, you know. And and I think there's a niche of players out there that want that, or they're you know like I don't play Dark Souls games because I just don't like the obnoxious difficulty of it you know it's like that's not what i'm there for but i need something that pushes back a, a little or i get bored with it so i'll just fire up no man's sky run around and bank all the resources from like all the factories that i've got sitting around and then like okay what haven't i done i pretty much did it all all right and then i log out so that's my pattern is like every time they do a big update i, I put about five hours in to see what they did and then i'll wait for the next update I was I was hoping for that that they had actually reverted some of their kindness in this, but they they kind of backed down on that. So interesting. Yeah, I I you know I for me I have restarted at every major patch. I feel like I think is the the case um, because I I get. I have found that it is buggy sometimes to to pick up my old character after a major patch. Mm -hmm. um, I've had problems mode. in the past. Yeah. So I've certainly gone through the initial experience a few times. This is definitely more forgiving on normal, but if you want more of a challenge, maybe try survival difficulty would be my thought, because uh, it's a lot more challenging, at least pre-4.0. I haven't played it in 4.0. So, um, you know, that might be, might be worth experimenting with, but, uh, you know, I, I have been impressed with some of the new stuff more than others, but the fact that there's just so much breadth to the game, uh, really, I don't know, gets me excited because I feel like there's more and more and more to do and I could just keep going with it. Uh, if I were to, you know, want to just sit and play for an extended period. Yeah. No Man's Sky, while I really love what Hello Games has been doing, is kind of put me in the same boat as like you mollified. 
to the point where like you know, I and I'm in gym too, for that matter. Like where I play, you know, for a good little bit, and I kind of get through it, and then I kind of feel like, all right, I seen it. I don't know if I really feel like I need to keep going. And then, you know, they come out with something new, um, and you know, then it is what it is. You know, and I jump back in for a little bit, but yeah, it's kind of like that starting all over again. Like there's been planets that I've named and things that I've explored, but like, I feel like I've lost all that stuff and I can't go back to it because, you know, I've had to either start a new character or for whatever reason, whatever it is. And so, um, it's not that it's a bad thing, but it's just like, it's kind of like Stellaris when a brand new expansion slash patch comes out that does do great things and ups the game and makes the game even better. I feel like I have to start all over again because where I was at, something's broken or like, I don't fully remember what I was doing before. So yeah. Um, but that's not to say it's a bad game. It is. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a good game. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I said that weird, but, um, <laughs> um, but more onto the round table stuff. I did want to kind of circle back quickly to the G4 stuff. Um, Cause I, you know, I, I grew up, you know, going, going to school, middle school, high school, watching tech TV back in the day, um, to then when they merged with G4 to when it was just G4. And then there's a period of time where even I stopped watching G4 long before it shut down, uh, just because the, the, the channel had kind of devolved into, uh, two shows and then just tons of reruns of like cops, cheaters, campus PD, you know, wrestling. And then it was just like attack of the show and X play. And that was like all that was left of this former thing. And like I said, that, that was like that for years before they shut down when they used to have all this other really great programming. It, it boils down to the fact that the executives, it was just poorly managed over time. You know, people didn't quite know how to adapt it to the changing ecosystem of like the YouTuber, the streamer, the content creator out there, the individual doing all of this work, um, you know, and personalities and stuff like that. When they re when they were announcing that they were going to revive G4, I was like, well, that's interesting because they made that announcement on the heels of another platform that was trying to start up to be just like G4 back in the day called Venn. And I was like, well, Vin is trying to be just like this G4 thing was, and they were trying to do this 24-7 thing, and they were going to have original programming and this whole thing. And then Vin just also shut down a while ago now, I think at this point, almost a year ago, itself, after or just before G4 relaunched. And I feel like they lost traction because G4 made their announcement. You know, so mm. you see, you see the weird, so like, so like people understand the branding of G4. They're like, G4 has brand, it's got weight, it's got nostalgia. Vin's this new thing. People don't understand what Vin is yet. But when they think of G4, there's already kind of an idea there. And so when G4 relaunched, they launched with like 200 employees. Comcast gave them this gigantic studio. It was like, it was massive. And they had this huge overhead and they were going to do their own original programming, but they were riding on the nostalgia of X-Play and Attack of the Show. That's a problem, right? Like, you're, you're starting off where you ended. And where you ended was just on those two things, and that was not able to sustain you. 
And you started off with like all of these host of employees in this big, huge studio and all of this overhead. And you had to churn out content and that content. And this is not, this is not on, I'm not, I'm not going to knock on any of the controversies. I'm not going to knock on any of the hosts, right? I'm going to talk about this purely just from a logistical thing. Um, and logistically, and even even some of the even some of the talent has gone on their own live streams and talked about this. I think Golden Boy did a, a great job of kind of talking about like it was mismanaged from like jump. You know, they they changed management along the way somewhere in the mix of it. They just you know they tried to do this linear TV thing along with streaming. They just didn't know how to do it, and the talent kept wanting to do things, and like the executives were like all over the place on. Because when you do TV, you actually have to go through all of these approvals. And like if they want to wear a certain type of shirt that maybe had like a, a branding on it, they had to get the approval of the brand plus the network to let them wear that shirt on TV. Like, it, you know, when you live stream, you don't have to have any of these approvals. Like there's no there's nothing out there for that. And so it became hard when you kind of a bunch of talent that came from the streaming world trying to do linear television it was it was rough for them and then on top of that the huge overhead and uh i think um the completionists also even talked about this too like if they just had like a small like a small space 20 people that's it i think this would have probably gone over a lot better started with just the streaming stuff did stuff just on like these streaming platforms instead of trying to do linear cable television. And they talked to, and Comcast apparently said like, well, you know, cable, cable ads is what pay for things. I'm like, yeah, but like your audience isn't there. And I think there was even a new report that came out uh, just yesterday that talked about that the, uh, at, at average, at most on average, G4 on TV only had a thousand viewers, a thousand viewers. It was the lowest watched channel on cable television for the last year yikes so i mean so and a lot of people and you look at the subreddit uh, for g4 tv a lot of people on g4 tv subreddit didn't even know it was on cable television they're like i had no idea i thought this was just online so there's another one their marketing sucked so it was like you know from jump this whole thing you know was just kind of seemed to be doomed from the beginning it felt like and I feel bad for the people that were really excited about it because there was there was some really quality stuff. Um, like Gina Darling, she's a really great streamer. She was a really great, I think, talent. Austin, um, uh, uh, the wrestler guy, really great. I think the completionist, Gold Boy, like all these, all these. There was a lot of really good people that were trying to do work on this platform, and it's a shame. And that kind of is funny to me because even like. Victor Lucas reached out and was like, hey, sorry to hear you guys shut down again, because his whole thing is, is there needs to be really good gaming journalism out there, especially in like a TV style format. And it's just not there anymore. And I kind of agree with him because Victor Lucas is like the last bastion. I mean, he's been doing the electric playground since the first E3 in the mid 90s. I mean, he's still doing games journalism and like game and media reviews to this day on his own platform. Like he's got his own network essentially. And he does a lot of partnership deals with um, other companies that are in Canada that do like gaming stuff or like college gaming um, um, arenas and stuff like that. And it's just really interesting to see like, you know, he's clearly stood the test of time, but he's also been the one 
driving it because he kind of owned that platform himself and he kind of pushed it. And for all of these years, he's been so consistent and staying true to that. He's had some up and downs, but I know I've kind of like taken over the round table discussion on this, but like, I just kind of had to air out that like, it was just, it's just, it was just really such a shame because I think in, in as a whole gaming journalism has not been that great. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't really great people like that are content creators on YouTube or on Twitch that are doing really good things that are making really good documentaries that are doing really good reviewing. It's just inconsistent. It's hard to, it's hard to put all that into a package to where I can go and be like, Hey, you know, I've got to self curate this stuff. And that's hard as an individual to be like, now I've got to go searching for the quality content and figure out where to put it. And, you know, put it into a proper playlist. It just becomes a challenge. And that kind of sucks because I feel like the G4 of old did a lot of that stuff. They had gaming documentaries. They had tips and tricks shows. They had uh, um, sporting game shows that are about like sports games. They had all kinds of stuff. Now, granted, that's not for everybody. And sure, they canned a lot of those shows because of probably a viewership. But, you know, you know, YouTube has definitely filled that space, but you've got to like really search for it for the people who are really passionate about it, who are really doing good work with it. And that's, and that's kind of a shame. Um, well, and I think the, I, I would argue that one of the problems with gaming journalism is the standards on YouTube or on a blog are not the same as a more traditional, you know, publication. So you don't really know what you're getting a lot of times when you go to somebody's channel, are they getting paid by, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the game developer, they may not be disclosing some of those things and you just don't know where right. at least the traditional media, there was some standard, uh, around that stuff, uh, some expectation that they would be, you know, right. forthright about what they were, they were getting paid for. Yeah, no, and, and I and I and I agree, and that's and that, again, that's why I've really got to toss my hat over to to Victor Lucas because, like, I mean, he even talks about whether he's gotten stuff as like a paid thing or like he'll even note about like how like he can't turn talk about certain things because he's under an NDA because it's like he's getting that as a review copy, and you know, mm -hmm. he'll 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 mention those things, and he's he, he's been the most you know, while I may or may not agree with all of his reviews, maybe I like a game more than he did, and vice versa. I just appreciate his integrity through his journalism all of these years. You know what I mean? Like he's just been the most consistent throughout all of it. And I, I wish, I wish the industry survived more than just him. You know what I mean? Like I, I wish there was more of, of that integrity from other platforms that could have survived along with him. Um, but you know who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be a resurgence. Maybe there'll be a revival. I, I kind of agree. I think there definitely de does need to be more of a. I think IGN tried to fill a lot of that gap at one point. I think mm -hmm. um, some of these other bigger places. But the thing about IGN was was I think IGN became too much of a hype train, where they hyped like I mean because look at what happened with No Man's Sky. Um, you know, like it, it's 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 circumstances like that that you know. Maybe maybe there was too much, you know, not everything's going to be perfect. And so I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say there's a perfect solution. But anyway, sorry for, for all those that lost their jobs with the G4 thing. And, you know, again, I'm not going to touch the controversy stuff. It's not worth it. 
Um, cause it, it's not really the thing that matters. And I, and I ultimately don't think the controversies are what killed their channel. Um, did, did it help with their viewership? I, I don't know. I can't say. Um, but like at the end of the day, I think, I think ultimately it's kind of like what, um, even golden boy said is like from jump way too much overhead, way too much staffing, way too much like put into this, like, you know, tens of millions of dollars invested into a thing that you're trying to revive and then your content does not reflect the investment. I mean, that's pretty, pretty clear. You know what I mean? That's pretty plain. Like if you just look at the numbers that that's pretty obvious. So, and that's unfortunate. And that, and again, that's not to say that they weren't doing good content. It was, I, I ultimately chalk it up to really just poor piss poor mismanagement of uh, Comcast. It sure sounds like it. Yeah. Like they, they didn't have a clear vision for what they wanted to do with it. And so they just kind of went back to, like you said, 10, whatever, 15 years ago and tried to copy that. Well, that didn't work the first time. Why do you think it's going to work the second time? Yeah. And like, you know, they tried to do new shows and, but I just don't think that they were doing enough, you know, like they just didn't allow for enough. They didn't allow these, these people who ha are visionaries who want to be a part of this to do more, you know, they have these ideas, but they wouldn't let them follow through with it more. And, mm. um, you know, so anyway, that's that's it on on my roundtable stuff. You guys got anything else you all want to address? Talk more about? I know I talked at length. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I wanted to touch on the quest uh, a little bit more, just from a you know, is it for gamers perspective? And I've seen arguments sort of both ways. Um, I will say that Meta is certainly not focused on the quest pro as a gaming device right mm. that is they're they're seeing it as this business thing where we're gonna all sit and uh have a vr headset on and do our our daily work right that's their vision and be working in a collaborative space in vr and things like that um I'm pretty skeptical. Uh, one of the big things that Meta showed at their event was in VR, I'm sitting at my real desk, but I'm in VR, AR, augmented reality, and I can basically take and create three virtual screens in AR, but I, I'm, I'm working on my laptop. So I can have like multi-monitor without multiple monitors. Um, which is a neat concept for sure, but from everything I've read, uh, it didn't it didn't look very good, and so you ended up you know really squinting to try to read what was on those screens and things like that, which obviously kind of kills the the value. So I, I'm not convinced that this is going to be a great innovation in the commercial space or in in you know people's work life. I think it's going to be kind of a killer, you know, gaming option. It has a lot of the features that like the Valve Index does, but it's still got the Quest onboard CPU. It's still got um, local storage and you can still use it wirely, wirelessly with a PC. So there's a lot there uh, that kind of brings all of the things I've wanted in a VR headset together, which is why I was willing to to try one. But I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm like I haven't seen the metaverse concept really going very far. So I'm curious if you either of you have 
thought much about yeah you know, i this. yeah my my thoughts are this like the the vr stuff is really neat and i i do and i have had some really great experiences doing vr gaming um i think i think one of the biggest things that blew my mind one as i as i remember playing with an oculus dev kit um and playing a little team fortress 2 with it because that was one of the things that you could do with the dev kit was play a tf2 with it and mm. i thought that was pretty cool but it was definitely a very much a screen door uh thing it was not a high res thing um and so when I got myself uh, one of the uh, one of the quests, one of the actual quests that, you know, you had to have tethered to your PC and you had to have all these sensors and remotes and blah, blah, blah. Um, I remember experiencing playing uh, a demo game called uh, Air Car, I believe it's called. And it's a free it's a free VR thing that you can get. And it's strictly there. there is no game there other than it's like a cyberpunk world blade runnery type thing and you're just flying around in this flying car through this futuristic city and it's raining and there's like raindrops on your windshield and i remember sitting in my desk chair with my vr headset on playing this feeling like like i'm gonna fall out of my chair because i'm flying in this thing and i'm like leaning over and you know, I, I just remember that experience going, holy crap, this is cool. Uh, I want to see full, I want to see a full fledged game of like that, that I was playing that cloud car, mm. that air car game or whatever it was. I was like, I want a realized fully like, ex like immersive experience of this because this is neat. But I have yet to really find something that has done that myself other than maybe Vox Machina, I think, or Vox Machina or whatever it is, the the um, uh, the VR mech. mech game where the avatar thing where it's like I can I can talk to other other players with my avatar and they're it like. The, the way that it, it um, renders myself to another player through the little video screen in the cockpit. I just that blew my mind the first time I experienced that. It was like a step up from Air Car. Um and so I remember that game being a load of fun to play and I was like this is cool, but again, it was just it was a pretty straightforward just mech game though. Like there was nothing else that was interesting about it that I, but I was doing it in VR. You know, Elite Dangerous looks pretty in VR. A lot of these games do look really beautiful in VR, and they they definitely can be a, a more immersive experience than than a pancaked version of of a game. But at the end of the day, though, like I cannot see my work life experience being like this, like wearing a headset all freaking day long, doing work, interacting with people virtually in some virtualized slash augmented reality kind of world. That that does not seem realistic to me. Um, like, like it, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool, uh, ready player one idea, but like in reality, I just, I just don't think that there is a prac, like a real practical use case for it. That like really makes sense. Right. That I can't just like look at a screen and see what you're trying to show me, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at some demo of some 3D rendered like new motorcycle or some 3D rendered new car or whatever it is building that you're trying to build. 
like I feel like I can I can experience that just as well on a normal like presentation rather than seeing it in VR. I, I I mean I guess I think there's maybe a little more to it. I work virtually, right? None of my coworkers are uh anywhere near me. So the idea of being able to be in a virtual space uh and and have that more in person like feel is kind of appealing. I'm not sure that this does that yet, but I see where they're going with it. Um and, and imagine, you know, you're looking at a concept car, right? Being able to like move it and expand it and and rotate it in 3D uh in your headset or in VR would be pretty pretty exciting to be able to see it that way. But is that worth fifteen hundred dollars a person? I don't think so, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's that and industry. I think and I think that's the other thing too. I think I think I think it's not the visual experience, it's the interactive experience that's the problem for me. So like mm. the 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 so like visually things always have looked great in the new VR stuff. I feel like the, every time I go to it there's something new about it. I was like, "Oh, that looks really great." It's the inter- it's how I interact with it that has been the difficult thing. Part of me just would rather just sit in a chair with a VR headset on and use a controller because I hate the hand controls because I feel like the hand controls don't quite do it for me because I feel like I don't have full like ability and the hand tracking stuff just doesn't feel like it's there yet. Now, if they had some kind of like emerged like glove slash controller thing, maybe, maybe where like it can, it can track my glove, like the gloves on my hand that I wear for it. Kind of like in ready player one where, you know, they wear those, those gloves I feel mm-hmm. like if I had, if I was to wear a glove that, you know, was more contoured to my hand, that I can track each individual finger better. I, I, I feel like I would enjoy that experience a lot more because I feel like I could interact with things better because I feel like I could actually reach out, touch a thing, grab a thing in, in VR space with my hand better than trying to like hold the controller, reach the controller out and pull the trigger as if I'm closing my hand. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a weird little disconnect there. Cause I'm still holding a controller. It doesn't really feel like it's me. Um, and so if I'm going to hold a controller, I'd rather hold like an actual controller, not like a hand controller and just play a game. And that's kind of what air car did for me is I was sitting in my chair with my headset on holding a controller in my hand, controlling the, you know, the, 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 the forward, backward, and, you know, vertical up and down with it, turning left, turning right. But I was, you know, but I'm sitting stationary in that ship anyway. I'm not really moving around. So it's kind of like a hit or miss thing because I feel like, you know, a lot of the VR games are meant to be played standing up and maybe I just don't like standing up for, you know, long periods of time trying to play a VR game. But, you know, some of those games just don't feel like they were really made for people sitting down. Yeah, I'm more the seated experience person too. So that those are my thoughts on on the MetaQuest stuff, man. So cool. Yeah, I I think it's gonna be interesting to see where the technology goes. I know people are working on you know the haptic gloves and and things like that, like you were describing from Ready Player One. So it's just a matter of when, probably, but uh. I'm not sure. I think Facebook's, you know, kind of ahead of the curve uh, in that sense where uh, we're, we're not there yet and they're really pushing. Well, like like it, to me, to me, it would make more sense if if you want to talk about the metaverse. Right. To me, it would make more sense if I put this headset on, it logs me into like my virtual home and then from my virtual home, I can like 
jump into a game of Counter-Strike or jump into a game of whatever from within all of that in this virtual world without like feeling like I have to load up another thing or load another this or load another that or like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like I could walk out through my virtual front door and go to work and, you know, to, to truly be this quote unquote metaverse you know, where everything's kind of more connected. Things just don't feel connected yet for it to really be a metaverse or meta world yet. Yeah, well, and that's the dream, right, is that Facebook wants to own that and sell everybody property like Second Life did once upon a time. Well, is there anything else you guys want to roundtable before we wrap this up? Sweet. I'll take that as a no. <laughs> yeah, nothing, uh, nothing major. <laughs> uh well right on guys well again this is uh this is us coming back this has been episode number 71 uh new show format we'll we'll give this a go and see how it goes for us but i think i i'm kind of digging it so far um and i think it gives us a lot more uh discussion time on things for sure so uh be sure to catch us again on the next episode and we'll see you guys on the discord discord.otherworlds.gg catch y'all later yeah